0: I cannot muster up the ability to ask for feedback when I don't get the job. I can't do it. I'm doing everything else I'm meant to be doing, but I just can't deal with it. I'm like, I need to move on. That's hard for me, getting the motivation to face things. It's low. (laughs) It's really low at the moment.
1: Job hunting can be challenging at the best of times throw into the mix a global health crisis that has triggered some of the most extraordinary economic conditions we will hopefully ever see in our lifetimes, and the process of finding a job becomes all the more overwhelming. I'm Sabina Reid, and I'm a psychologist who has worked with individuals and organisations for over 25 years. I've seen stress in all its forms, and I know the idea of looking after your well-being at a time like this, when the only thing you want to do is hide under your donor is hard. Proudly brought to you by SEEK, this is Seek Your Mind. And over the course of this series, we'll meet five job hunters who have written in for advice on how to deal with the things they're finding difficult during this period. And remember those advice columns you'd see in the newspapers and magazines? and how so often someone else's problem weirdly seemed to resonate with your own life, it's because many of the challenges we face, and the way we respond, are universal. So we'll be discussing the letters here with a panel of experts from presentation specialists to meditation practitioners. Today, I'm joined by career and interview coach Leah Lambert, who founded Relaunch Me, and we've got a letter here from Lottie in Sydney.
0: Dear Seek, I've been job hunting since March during the first lockdown. I've been doing bits and pieces and small projects, and I've almost finished a course on user experience design. I'm just trying to keep busy. But all this rejection and finding a permanent position is really demotivating me. And I find it hard to do all the things I know that I should be doing, like calling people for feedback on applications when I miss out on them and things like that. I just want to escape the feelings of not being good enough. Why do I feel so lazy and guilty when I watch everyone around me going to work as well? I know it's not rational, but how do I stop comparing myself to everyone else who has a job? Yours escaping my feelings.
1: Yeah, it's a really loaded letter, isn't it, Lottie? You used some really interesting words in your letter, particularly the idea of should. So help me understand what you think you should and shouldn't be doing and where do those shoulds come from?
0: Yeah. Well, who knows? I have so many shoulds going around in my head. Like I always should be doing something. If I'm relaxing at night, it's like, no, I should be on a job site hunting. I should be upskilling and I shouldn't be feeling guilty because I've I've done that work to learn about not punishing yourself for your feelings because that just exacerbates it. But I still do because it's just still my mind and my body doesn't really agree and then that's where the shoulds kick in and it gets really messy.
1: Leah Lottie's talking about some themes here that are so universal. What I have observed in so many people is that the feelings of guilt are so overwhelming and the should is so loud that they get up in the morning and think, I am I have to get a job, I have to get a job. So they're thinking all the time about job hunting, not necessarily actioning it, but the, the voices are so loud that they almost dominate every part of your day. So you don't engage with friends, you might not walk the dog, you might not exercise. Mm. And instead of feeling like that's a way to be productive, to guilt yourself through the day is instead to say perhaps for three hours a day or two hours a day I will purposely mindfully and productively attend to the job hunt and in the other hours of the day I will I will give
2: myself permission to do other things and really ensure that I fill up other parts of myself too. That's right. And I think when you are job hunting, it's more important than ever to find other activities that give you energy, because when you're energized, you feel more confident and you need the confidence to take the action. Mm -hmm. As soon as people start to lose confidence, that's when they do stop picking up the phone and calling people and and that just compounds the problem. Mm. And even if she set herself perhaps three little goals, really specific goals for each day, that she needs to call this person and she puts that time in her diary so that she sticks with it. I
0: kind of do have parts of my days where I'm not job hunting like I might be studying or doing the little bits and pieces of work that I do have. But sometimes I feel like... I allot myself too much time to that and then I a few days, a week even could go by and I haven't like done an application and then I have a heart attack and I go, oh, (laughs) what have I, I've missed out on, I might have missed out on a deadline, what have I done kind of thing and I'm finding it hard to, Find the balance, really.
1: I can hear that, and I can also hear a lot of fear in in the way you're telling your story. That, what happens if I get this wrong? What happens if I've missed an opportunity? What happens if I'm not good enough? They're all fear based thoughts, and as I say, they're understandable. What we want to do is try and um, foster some thoughts that come from a place of choice, of control. Of purpose, of clarity, um, which won't be 100%. It's not going to overlay the whole process. So can I ask you, Lottie, what is it that you're looking for?
0: I've been really attracted to working either in government. I'm interested in the not-for-profit sector. I'm interested in, I've been applying for a lot of jobs for communications for organisations to do with the environment. I'm kind of looking for a comms role, but I'm not super qualified to do anything sales related. So that kind of cuts me off a little bit from the majority of things that go up online. I could have a go. I haven't been that successful with those things because it's not in my experience or my studies. So I'm just looking for the, the intersection between my skills and things I'm interested in. But I have been lowering my standards as well so I am applying for more things with the idea that maybe I would be interested in that.
1: How is that making you feel when you're applying for things
0: that you're referring to as below you? Oh so bad. (laughs) I go for things that might not necessarily be in my repertoire but it's something I think that I could do and it might be something a little less qualified than I think I am but I still don't Get anywhere with it, or they're looking for specific skills that I know I can I can do, but because I don't have the experience on paper, they don't um, consider me. So it is hard. It's been denting my confidence a lot.
1: Yeah, I can hear something in your story around throwing the net super wide. So even as we're talking about what is it that you're looking for and to identify what goalposts you're trying to hit, you're still trying to work that out. So which is again, really common. And it's important to have conversations like this with friends or family, just to really fine tune and hone what it is that you're looking for. Because if you can't articulate it in a safe space like this, it's going to be really difficult to articulate it both on paper and and in an interview setting. So you need to have a a real sense of sort of affinity, I think, with the story that you're telling because it's not a story, it's you. But it's an extension of who you are, what you do well and what you're looking for. And one of the things I can hearing is when you throw the net so wide because you start to panic, then we can knee jerk back the other way and think, I'll just do anything. I'll do anything. So we throw the net so wide thinking perhaps now I'll catch something in in the mix. But it's so untargeted that we don't, which is what you're telling me. And then it reinforces this negative sentiment. I'm not good enough and people don't want me and I don't have anything to offer which is not the case
0: it's really hard because I definitely agree with that it's I'm finding it difficult with the people around me like my family and friends because they think they're trying to help by suggesting things and they come in and my roommate why don't you do disability support work? my dad's saying, why don't you apply for this project management job for a construction company? And and I'm like, oh, okay, maybe. And then I'm confusing myself and I keep trying to take on these people's helpful suggestions. But I think in the end it's just, I'm getting really confused as to what I'm even trying to do. So have you got
1: thoughts, Leah, on how best to approach this getting no bites mm. at lower levels and more senior levels?
2: And this is happening quite often. I think people who are sitting in that middle middle ground and often they've got some specialist expertise, but they're not necessarily ready to step up and manage people. So I think for Lottie, I would try really hard to connect with a recruiter who is specialising in that area. The recruiters are the ones who are they're, – they're in that every day. So they're talking to clients about what skills they're looking for, what specific expertise and experience. So if she can connect with a recruiter who is in that day-to-day recruitment – get their feedback on where she should be pitching herself. I think that's where I would start. How do you think it's best for
1: people to get a sense of benchmarking their own skills so that she has an idea of what her offering is?
2: So again, the first thing I would do is be specifically looking at the job selection criteria and really ticking off what she is confident that she meets and perhaps then identifying where there's some skill gaps. So if she's meeting 70, 80% or more, then I would say definitely apply for that job. If she's only meeting 30%, I think in this current market, because it's so competitive, then I'd probably move on to the next thing. It's so difficult to know, isn't it? Because you
1: apply for a job where there are gaps, you get rejected and you feel like you go backwards because of the rejection. But if you only wait until you think this is the the perfect one to strike at,
2: you miss potential opportunities. I guess all I can say is that she would be better off applying for two or three jobs a week, that she feels that she meets the criteria and really taking the time to tailor her resume and her cover letter for those particular jobs rather than applying for 10 or 20 Mm. where she doesn't really hit the mark. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these days to get a recruiter's attention, the resume and the cover letter needs to be quite tailored. Mm and keyword optimise and to show that you've looked at the website, you've understand the products or services, you've read the values, you've read the mission statement, that's what recruiters want to see and that's how she might be able to stand out.
1: Over the course of talking to Lottie, I started to hear some really strong themes around the kind of setting she could imagine herself wanting to work in. It's clear that being able to make an impact in the lives of others really matters to her. And she's interested in government and non-profit work, which makes sense in that context. I think part of what's challenging in job hunting is finding the balance between knowing what you want at your core and being able to honour that in the work you're looking for. And I wanted to know if Lottie sensed the same thing.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think it is scary though because it feels like maybe I will cut myself off from potential jobs because I'm trying to be true to myself, but what if being true to myself means I'm going to be unemployed in six months as well you know is that really what I want (laughs) so it's like balance I guess
2: I wondered if she could perhaps spend some time even going back to people she's worked with in the past maybe an ex-manager and really getting some validation about what she does well. Yeah. Writing down, you know, three big achievements that she can create some stories around, Mm. really getting a good sense of her strengths and just reminding herself of that. Mm. And the other thing I love about that exercise, Sabina, is that then you see the themes. Often there's very common themes coming from whether it's a friend or your partner or an ex-boss. And I think often people they take their strengths for granted. So they think that just because they're good at something that everyone else is yeah. good at the same thing. I call it an ask a friend exercise. And then they start to, you know, picture themselves in a different way. And I think, you know, from what Lottie's saying, that wouldn't hurt at the moment to feel that she can really identify her strengths and articulate those. And hopefully they w- they will come through on her documents when she applies for jobs as well.
0: I cannot muster up the ability to ask for feedback when I don't get the job. I can't do it. It's its like I'm doing everything else I'm meant to be doing, but I just can't deal with it. I'm like, I need to move on. I can't, yeah, I don't know. That's hard for me. Getting the motivation to face things mm-hmm. is, it's low. <laughs> it's really low at the moment.
1: What would be the worst thing you could hear in the feedback department?
0: Probably just that they thought I was good, but I need more experience or I need more skills or something like that, because I feel like that to me is really hard because I, I'm trying to get the experience. I'm trying to get the skills. So I don't know. Yeah. When people say those kind of things, it doesn't really help. And the other, the other feedback I've gotten is, oh, there's no feedback. You were great. There was just someone better. And that, that I'm like, well, I can't do anything with that. I don't want to hear that.
1: (laughs) Okay. So it makes sense to me, Lottie, that you're saying, I don't think I can handle the feedback that I think I'm going to get at this point. I'm too fragile. I'm too raw. And because I perceive I can't handle it, I'm not going to ask the question. That's not demotivated. I'd call that self-preservation. And when we understand why you're blocking that process because you're trying to protect yourself, we can start to unpack it and and pull those walls down so that you're able to ask the question um, both from a perspective of being able to tolerate the answer but also from a more strategic place where if they do say, oh, we don't have any feedback, there was just other people or whatever, you can say, you know what would be really helpful to me is I know at this time you've been inundated with, you know, terrific candidates but I'm wanting to continue, you know, to learn on this process so I wonder if you could give me one piece of advice that you think would be helpful yeah when I apply for a similar job like this in the future or something so that you're asking a direct question to them it's not always possible if you're going for a job with thousands of applicants they, they won't be able to offer that but some will and if they are able to and they have the time and the capacity people people generally are happy to do that
0: yeah okay yeah I'll definitely that seems like a much easier way to ask than just Criticise me. <laughs> yeah. So it's the fear of what you're going to hear that's
1: preventing you from, from taking action and yet this action is an important building block of in the job hunting process and need not define who you are as not being good enough. Yeah. I think the desire to avoid uncomfortable emotions is is a really normal one. In fact, we're hardwired to do that. Why would we move towards emotions that make us feel uncomfortable, not good enough for Lottie and for so many of us? It's
2: an important lesson to really, there's not one right job. That's right. And on the other side, there might be a hundred reasons why she didn't get the job. So I think I find a lot of people are overanalyzing why they didn't get an interview or why they didn't get the job and they're thinking it must be because of, you know, some people might think it's because I didn't go to the right school or, you know, I'm over 40 or I'm over 50. People are overanalyzing these things. But it may be that there was an internal applicant the job may have actually been put on hold. So there can be so many reasons why they didn't get that job.
1: I wonder what your thoughts are on how you can reframe that, that feedback process so that it doesn't feel like you're stepping into the fire when you're already feeling so raw.
2: Look, I think the first thing is that you really need to try and keep up that activity because once you stop, speaking to people, then it's very hard to come back from that. So even if you are connecting with someone and getting negative feedback, it's still an opportunity to connect with someone. And often they will pass on something that's really helpful about your resume or about the way you interviewed that you can learn from and improve on for the next time. So I think it's really, you know, even though sometimes people want to just go into a hole and not talk to anyone. It might be even setting aside time each day and having a routine and having some job search activity that she sticks to at the same time every day. Because I think once you stop doing that, you start to lose more confidence. Something I work on with lots of people is this
1: idea of staying productive as a way of keeping your confidence up. And Lottie has lots of projects she's helping people with, which is great. And she's also signed up to study, but she's having trouble working out how to explain it all on her resume.
0: Yeah, I'm just completing a course that was running for 12 weeks on user experience design. Yeah. What was
1: that like for you? Tell me about, you know, was it engaging? Was it inspiring? Did you get ideas around that? Or did you feel like you were ticking a box to tell someone a story in the next interview?
0: Yeah. I mean, it started that way. It started with me just being like, I have to have something to tell my family when they call me. like. And luckily it's been really, really good. But it's felt like actual work because they expect a level and run to deadlines the same way you would in a job. So I felt like... I've like been working and I felt like I could do this and get money for this. I would be happy with that. But it's like then I go out and look at the all the job ads and they're saying like for a junior that you need minimum one year experience. I think that when you do
1: additional study, like the 12-week course, it's a wonderful thing to do. But when people are asking for a, certain, a minimum amount of experience, you have a, some comms experience and now you've got this as an overlay. So I think it's, a, it's how you package that up as a complementary offering as opposed to it's only a 12-week course and I haven't been paid to do this work to date. Yeah. Um, I think you perhaps could be limiting what you're offering there because to me it's another feather in the, in the comms cap as opposed to, I'm not a UX person, and these kinds of stories we t- tell ourselves when we feel less than, when we've been rejected, when, when you know, we feel eroded. So it makes sense to me that you're reverting back to that story and then sort of pulling back a bit, deer in the headlights. Yeah. But really, it's an additional. It's not a deficit. It's it's an additional offering. And when you believe that, that's how you'll convey it when you're talking to people.
0: I really didn't think of it that way. I was thinking, here's another path I've started to take and I'm a beginner at this as well and I'm just that when you put it together it, I have done quite a few different things so I should try framing it differently very very true yeah If you weren't going to say
1: should what else could you say and and I think choose is, is a good replacement for should so um, instead of I should say it that way I, I choose to say it that way and I will I will say it that way yeah cool <laughs> I choose to yeah can we go to something else you've said in your letter? And that is, I just want to escape the feelings of not being good enough. So tell me what not being good enough means to you.
0: I mean, it's pretty real for me at the moment. Not being good enough for me is not having any money, not being able to provide for the people around me and like do the things I want to do and do it with them or not being good enough is, yeah, just not not having a job. It's It's really... I'm so attached to what I do. So the fact that I haven't had anything particular to do the past few months just makes me feel like, yeah, the trajectory I was on post university was just thrown. And I don't know if I can get back on it. That's how I feel at the moment. What do you need to be different to affirm that you are good enough? Oh, that's a really hard question. I feel like. I need to have some pride in what I do day to day. That would make me feel a bit better, I think. I think the pride and the meaning that you can get from your job and bringing home a paycheck and finishing a day and being tired and having the right to say I'm, I feel tired. Because I am tired from my days, but I don't feel like it's fair to me to pipe up when all, all of my housemates are working so hard their jobs and I and I'm saying oh I'm so tired as well like I don't want to do I don't want to do the dishes either but I can't say that because it's not that hard for me day to day.
1: I'm going to challenge that because it is difficult for you day to day and you do have someone to answer to and it's the critical voice in your own head.
0: Yeah. (laughs) If
1: you've listened to the critical voice in your own head all day no wonder you want don't want to do the dishes and do the cooking and you want to be listened to and you want a soft place to fall. So let's, let's accept that that's as worthy as anyone who happens to be earning dollars in your house or elsewhere in your life. I think you've raised some really valid and tangible points around how you know you're good enough. And you talked about having a sense of pride, being proud of what you do with your time with the hours that you've been gifted you're looking for a sense of meaning and I always define meaning as really something bigger than ourselves yeah meaning is attached to impacting others and it's beyond who we are and that's lacking at the moment for you you're also looking for a paycheck that's a really tangible need you know you need to pay pay for goods and services but I want to revert back to what you said a job what would help you feel good enough is he said I want to have money I want to be able to provide who do you want to provide for
0: yeah I guess for my partner um he's paying a lot for me at the moment um and I I feel bad when I'm not able to do the same yeah, I'm used to being able to buy people little gifts. I'm used to being able to shout my friends a drink or a meal. And at the moment, I just feel so, because I don't have enough money to do that, I feel like a worse partner and a worse friend and a worse relative. So you're tapping into really the essence of who we are and our,
1: our sense of self. And that is for you, Lottie. And it's beautiful that you see yourself and you have Traditionally, been someone who gives to others, who connects, who's thoughtful, who's a a good—I use that word in inverted commas—partner, friend, um, daughter. And when you don't have financial independence, it feels like you're stripped of these parts of yourself. So, really, we're dealing with so much more than job hunting. You're dealing with big questions about who you are and what you bring to the world, and. The, the worth that you bring to other humans and it makes sense to me that when we look through that lens no wonder you don't want to do the dishes and you feel yeah. tired and fragile at night <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> I think it's important to acknowledge those needs that are really important to you and how can we how can we explore those in different ways without being in a full-time paid gig at this time because you will be Lottie in a full-time paid gig Again, you will be. And it's difficult to imagine that, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know what the solution is, but I know that you will be. So, in the interim, it's important to find ways to honor these parts of yourself that matter. And there are things you can do to be a, a, a thoughtful, kind, compassionate partner, friend, daughter, stranger without paying for, for gifts. If you're juggling all the things we've heard Lottie talking about today, it can get emotionally exhausting and it really does feel like the easiest option is just to give up and ignore it all. But as Leah said, as soon as you stop the habit of doing something, like calling for feedback after an interview, it becomes so much harder to restart. So for Lottie and for many people I talk to, getting yourself motivated becomes the biggest hurdle in the job hunt and we have to find a way around that. Lottie, one of the things we know is that so often we wait for the emotion to be our signpost for action. So we're thinking, when I feel motivated, then I'll go for a run. When I feel positive, then I'll apply for a job. When I feel sexy, then I'll crack on to my partner. Instead, sometimes we need to acknowledge that we're not feeling what we think we need to be feeling. We take action regardless and we almost call it for what it is. I'm not feeling sexy. I'm not feeling motivated. I'm not feeling ready. I'm not feeling confident. I know that about myself, but despite that, I will take action and see what happens. We take more of a curious mindset.
0: I'm a big culprit of doing that. I go, I'm just going to sit in the garden for a while until I feel like motivated enough to do some work and then I get to the end of the day and I go, I wasted my time. Like I didn't get as much done and I should have just sat down and just done what I could at the time. And and we're back to the sort of should story because
1: you're saying I knew I should have done that. So instead of saying I should have done that in a wasted day, you can say I chose to sit in the garden today. Yeah. Yay me. And I deserve to sit in the garden. You know, it's gardens are not only for employed people. So I get to enjoy the garden like everyone else who's being paid a paycheck gets to enjoy a garden. I get to enjoy sitting on the couch and being grumpy like everyone who's employed. I get to, you know, not want to do the dishes like everyone who's worked a long day. All of those are my right as
0: much as they're anyone else's. Yeah, it's hard to remember that, but it's good to remember that too. (laughs)
1: Lottie hasn't been offered a job yet, which is her metric for success. But actually, she's ticking some ripper boxes, upskilling, exploring, interning, thinking about other people and not just herself. These are all opportunities in her control, which can help her stay motivated. I think the key thing from today is that the job hunt isn't about beating yourself up for what you think you should be doing, but recognising that we have the ability to change the narrative to focus on what we have done and can do rather than what we can't. Next episode, we'll be talking with Jane, who's having to learn how to navigate the job market after a lifelong career in global travel vaporised almost overnight. If you're going through your own job hunting challenges, head to Seek Career Advice, where you'll find lots of support, resources and ideas to help you in your job search. And if this podcast has raised any issues for you, Beyond Blue also has a range of online resources and a 24-hour 7 days a week support line on 1300 22 46 36. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, I'm Sabina Reid, and this has been Seek Your Mind, a series on well-being while job hunting, proudly brought to you by Seek.